movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 108. Uh, I'm excited for this one. I think this is going to be a really, really fun episode. Um, so, it is Thanksgiving this Thursday, and I had a weird train of thought with this, but go with me. Um, Thanksgiving is food, but it is also football. When I hear football, I think fantasy sports. We like to fantasy project future movie projects, so we thought, let's go ultimate fantasy picks here of, we are a studio executive, we get free reign of anything, IPs, actors, you name it, if we could make a movie, money's no object, what would be our fantasy picks? We've got what movie it would be, who our director is, and who the actors would be, or at least one of the actors, um... I enjoy this type of stuff, um, so I'm really looking forward to this one. Michael, how are you doing this week? I, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much uh, for asking. I do appreciate it. It's a privilege to be here once again, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of you movie fans out there. I hope and wish you guys nothing but the best, uh, safe travels, and uh, well wishes to you all as you gather together and feast and hopefully, like me, you can count on another somewhat normal Thanksgiving watching the Detroit Lions lose again. So even yes, though you it's will. a weird 2020 year, there's yeah, there's one thing we can count on is them losing. So there you go. They say in Field of Dreams, the one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. While there's a second constant, Ray, it's that the Detroit Lions will always suck on Thanksgiving. Yes, they will. <laughs> but, um, Michael... I know you specifically were like, we got to make sure that we etch out some time this week so I can talk about the hunt for Red October. Yes. Yes. So my, my father and I, we were able to watch it and we did it over this past weekend on, on Friday night. And my gosh, it was great. What what a what a fantastic throwback. So to cover the whole idea of like what, we, what have we been watching um, uh, that that was such a good movie. Uh, great role for Sean Connery. Uh, and a lot of other actors that I honestly have since forgotten, since forgotten. But uh, you know, I, I will say that uh, the casting for Jack Ryan, and you you know who that is, who they casted for that, right? John Krasinski, right? Uh, no, not oh, oh not that for the version. Hunt for Red October. Yeah, um, not that Jack Ryan. For Hunt for Red October, it's is that one Harrison Ford? No, oh, that's it, Ben no, Affleck, it, isn't it? Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Oh no, Ben Affleck is uh, Clear and Present Danger. No, uh, which one was Ben Affleck in? Ben Affleck the, he was been... he was in the sum of all fears that one i knew he was in yes, at least one but, of them yeah alec baldwin was cast as uh, jack ryan it, was he in multiple or was it just this one just that one for good okay. reason too i i think he's a, it's really <laughs> it, it's not a very uh charismatic performance like harrison ford and uh, ben affleck will have portrayed him as uh later on in the 90s but uh still i think it's actually probably overall one of the better Jack Ryan's, even though it's actually not even fully about him necessarily, but a funny movie, very compelling. So, so glad I finally found it. And then I will, um, I will end this. What you've been watching is I revisited Ocean's Eleven uh, this week, and uh, just a lot, lot of subtlety in that film, a lot of subtle humor. And I have to say, I really appreciated rewatching it. I haven't seen it in probably a decade. So that's what I've been watching. What, what, what's been tickling your fancy here as of late? Well, uh, I got two. I got a really great one, 
and a <laughs> laughably bad one. Which do you want to hear first? I, I please. I save save the bad one for last. Okay, the great one. Uh, my expectations were pretty high for this movie already because I was hearing great things about it, and it's even better than I thought. Was a movie called Freaky. Uh, starring Catherine Newton from Detective Pikachu and Vince Vaughn. So Vince Vaughn is a serial killer that when he goes to kill Catherine Newton's teenage girl character, they swap bodies. So now Catherine Newton is it trapped in Vince Vaughn's body and has 24 hours to kill him and switch back. Oh my gosh, I laughed so hard. But also some of the kills in this are brutal. It's by the same guy that did Happy Death Day. So it's kind of like a even further along version of happy death day of like the type of humor that you got in the first happy death day, but also like happy death day. There's a lot of really cool story elements that the movie okay. implies, but the director, I don't think realizes that he implies them. Um, and the movie doesn't go that way. Like at the beginning, there's a standard slasher movie opening scene of some teens get killed, um, before the actual story can begin. But they're talking about the, killer in the movie is called the Bayside Butcher on uh, the Blissfield Butcher um they're talking about how he was around in the 70s or the 80s or he was maybe that was an urban legend and I'm thinking in the back of my mind oh is the killer killing people so he inherits that new body so he can keep killing forever and ever because he just sw- swaps bodies when he needs a refresher but no the movie sure. I don't think the movie realized that that's something that they hinted at and so they never bring it up again I will <laughs> say though I really, really enjoyed this movie a lot. I almost Good. rolled out of my seat laughing so hard. So minor spoilers for those that care, but I think Michael, you of all people will appreciate this. So when Vince Vaughn, who is currently the teenage girl trapped in a serial killer's body, she finally reaches her friends and they understand what's happened. They're like, the whole town is looking for you. We have to disguise you. What disguise are we going to give you? They find a like a rubber fake Aaron Rodgers mask that they can't see out of. So I will never be able to see Aaron Rodgers the same way again, seeing a big hulking Vince Vaughn with a smiling Aaron Rodgers mask on, just going, I can't see and just running into everything imaginable. <laughs> it's so stupid, but I couldn't help it. of like, this shouldn't work, but it is also that would explain a lot about Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that that does sound, I mean, I don't even know what to think about that. What was the name, for those of us wondering again, what, what was the name of the movie? Freaky. Freaky, okay. It's yeah, like, it sounds sounds like it, it's, honestly. It's basically Freaky Friday meets Friday the 13th, but okay. really, really funny. What year did this come out? It just came out last weekend. Oh, okay. All it right. just came out. Now, the movie that came out, in 2015 that I can't even say is like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's just, I was just staring at it the whole time going, what is this? Just why? I don't even know why I decided to watch it, but after about 15 minutes, just like screw it. I've made it this far. I'm going to sit through it. That is 2015's Daniel Radcliffe and James McAvoy's Victor Frankenstein. Oh no. Oh no! Okay, it's not. Yeah, I remember. It's not terrible, or is it's it, not what is the it? worst horror, like classic monster remake I've ever seen. But it's like a game of telephone was played to the director about what happens in Frankenstein, and he heard it through like the fifth chain down, because like 
Igor, he's known for having his hump or whatever. That gets fixed in the first 15 minutes. That's an easily redeemable thing. We can fix that right up because how dare Dan Radcliffe be unattractive in a movie. Also, um, I don't think the director really implied this, but every male character in this movie feels like they're secretly in love with every other male character in this movie. Of like, um... Okay. I don't get... I don't think that was the undertones that they set. Yes, I understand that um, James Whale, who did Bride of Frankenstein, was a gay man as a director back in the day who also did Invisible Man. But the, sure. I don't think the subtext was there in the original Frankenstein. Also, I don't think it was there for every single person. This movie felt more like a discount Sherlock Holmes. And when I say that, basically any actor that it either appeared in the Benedict Cumberbatch or the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes was fair game to be in this movie right down to the villain, is played by Andrew Scott's Moriarty. Playing the exact same character, too. Okay, so... Yeah, so the silence there was on purpose. So how does this movie... Okay, I'm just trying to even picture what all this looks like. How does this movie compete with uh, I, Frankenstein? For See, example. I haven't seen I Frankenstein yet. It's on my list. It's in my Hulu queue. Oh my gosh! You have to. Oh my gosh! I mean, Heather will love that because it's a it's a comedy. Mm. It, it it truly is a comedy. You guys will love it for that very reason. See, the issue that I had with Frankenstein, well, Victor Frankenstein is they're like <laughs> kind of wanted to do some Victor. They want to do some classic Frankenstein lore, but then mm-hmm. not really. <laughs> Of like, we only get to the castle in the last five minutes, and it's totally unconsequential. Spoiler alert, Igor has a happy ending where he just is a normal person. He ends up getting married or with no hump or no slouch or whatever. Um, They create a monster who has to be one of the worst. And I will include Aaron Eckhart's I, Frankenstein, in this discussion. One of the worst Frankensteins I've ever seen. It's like... If someone saw Hulk in the mm. first Avengers movie and went, how do we make him look more human? And I think I may have emotional feelings for this Hulk character that I want to project onto Frankenstein. Because, like, there's some sexiness to Frankenstein, which I don't really want. Also, the final fight between Igor and Igor, Igor, whatever you want to say, and Victor fighting the monster felt like a video game boss like a resident evil level i'm like this is the saying it chief however this movie's terrible i will at least acknowledge that they did have a young frankenstein joke so that's not all bad they went mm-hmm. out of their way to go uh oh you must be uh mr frankenstein it's frankenstein it's like okay okay you're still terrible like real bad but also like i said andrew scott is the bad guy bad guy as a detective just doing his job but he's playing the exact same character from sherlock mark gatiss aka mycroft holmes is in this in a blink and you miss it cameo molly from sherlock is in this some of the detectives from the robert downey jr sherlock holmes is in this it's just like the guy was like a massive sherlock holmes fan but was saddled with a frankenstein script instead and so he just was like movie (laughs) hey at least it got made i'm glad it was entertaining for better or for worse 
I feel like I wasted my time, but it wasn't like a total waste, like the happening. Like it, it's just a misguided, I think is the perfect word for it. More than what, anything what else. What a name drop there is. The happening. Now that is a, that's a true comedy. Right that's, there. that's a wonderful comedy. Um, well, I wish we had happy things to talk about, but we've got nothing but sadness this week. More mm-hmm. sadness. Actually, no, we have got, we've got some good topics to talk about, but, um, Kicking us off is one that we actually talked about a little bit last week when it was speculated, but now it's more or less confirmed, but in a different way than we expected. And that is that Wonder Woman 1984 is coming out on Christmas, like we figured it would, in both theaters and HBO Max on the same day. Mm. This is a big deal. Um... Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, a few days after this uh, news dropped, new rumors are spreading that Roku and HBO Max have worked out a deal. Hmm. Coincidence? I think not. Um, This is not good for movie theaters, but it's good no. for people that are excited for this movie. I know a lot of people going, I wanted to see this in theaters. I, I get that, but... We've talked about for the past few weeks of the streaming wars are the future. And this is a strategic long-term investment on mm-hmm. Warner Brothers and HBO Max's um, side of things. So uh, I already told my parents, this is probably what we're going to watch on Christmas. Assuming that it's on Roku by that point. If not, I'll just bring my Chromecast over to their house. Uh, this, it sucks, but... I get why they're doing this because this movie has been done forever now. So they just kind of needed to get it out at this point. Um, what will probably happen is since I'm in an area that has theaters open and every time I've gone to the theater, it has been a very safe and I felt very comfortable in that environment. I will probably see this on Christmas Day on HBO Max with my family. And if I like it, I'll go back out and see it in theaters to support the movie further because I always want to support my DC movies, but also... Just support the theatrical experience. Um, we thought this was going to come out in theaters on Christmas and then be in theaters for like two weeks and then go to HBO Max. But no, they're coming out the same day, which I find super interesting. Uh, Michael, this is kind of like a part two to last week, isn't it? Yeah, it, it definitely. It's it's one of those things that, we, like you said, we've talked about and it's inevitable. I, I, I'm so fortunate to, to say that. So none of this is surprising. Um, uh, for those of us uh, who don't have HBO Max, um, no, I could always sign up for a, a free trial, of course. And I, I don't have. I, I don't think have a lot of people Roku. will be doing that. Yeah, I don't have any Roku devices. But do, do we have a, a? Do we have like a um, expected date to where it will like release like VOD like for other platforms? Like, are we thinking maybe like February or something? I am so glad you asked this because um, it's only going to be on HBO Max for a month, and then it's ah. going to go on premium on demand. Mm. which I think okay. is really, really odd. HBO Max has been really bizarre of its titles of like, they launched with Harry Potter, all eight Harry Potter movies. And then they quickly were like, sorry guys. Um, bye. It's going to Peacock <laughs> for a little bit. Now I don't think even Peacock has, I don't know if Peacock has it or not. Uh, but that was one of the heavily marketed things when they first coming out of, we've sure. got Harry Potter and now it's gone. It's like a, they're still working out the bugs. As a lot of streaming services are. Remember when Disney Plus launched, a whole bunch of titles weren't there, like Black Panther or Ant-Man. Yeah. That that won't be a problem in the next, in a few years from now when studios, like, definitively stick their stake in the ground. But 
Um, yeah, this will be on yeah. HBO Max for a month. Then I believe it will be solely in theaters or solely um, premium on demand for like 20 bucks, I think. And then it'll probably go back to HBO Max again. Gotcha. Yeah, that that uh, that that sounds. I mean, that sounds right as far as a pl- marketing plan. So I'm glad uh, that you affirm that. Yeah, I probably won't watch it uh, right away. I mean, this whole year has kind of put a lot of my priorities, like for movies, for me. And and this is going to be a slow adoption. Like if they're going to charge, you know, premium, uh, like streaming, um, on things, you know, on top of the increase of a lot of these. A lot of these subscription services, you know, with Netflix raising their prices, you know, and Prime's uh, yearly rate going up every year, uh, it's it's going to be harder and harder to justify this twenty to thirty dollar premium VOD, um, for at least in the in the you know interim, because they're like like you, uh, have several theater options here before um, this whole mess of of the twenty twenty, and you know I could go see see it because I never get concessions. I could see a movie for six bucks and, and then you get the whole theater experience, the communal experience, which we've talked about um, that you and I believe is incredibly special and we love. Um, It'd be kind of hard for me to to sit around unless I invite people over and they just give me a couple bucks. Uh, I don't think I'd be doing this individually. I hope it works out for them, but I'm, I'm with you. I think we're old souls as millennials. We, we value still the in-person and we're going to, we're going to fight against it as much as we can. And if we do have to get creative, like, you know, maybe signing up for a free trial to do it. That I'm, I'm certainly willing to do that, but begrudgingly. I still think there's a future for video on demand for like premium video on demand, just not for us because as it stands, it's just me and Heather. And then in your case, it's just you. But if it's like sure. a family of six kids and two adults, that's eight <clears throat> people for $20. That's definitely more that's affordable. I, I understand course. that. Um, I think also they're sticking with this release date one because they've already shelled out so much money in the marketing because they've moved this so many times, but also there's still a lot of DC projects coming and while it, this movie, since it's set in the eighties, doesn't need to necessarily fit in a chronological order like the MCU does with, um, Black Widow and everything else. Cause I'm sure their timeline is all kinds of effed up right now, um, they still have a lot of projects that they have coming out. And if you keep slotting stuff down, there's eventually not going to be space for it. Like, just take DC out of the equation. Warner Bros. has a bunch of other movies coming out. And so next year basically has, if things stand as they are right now, there is two years worth of movies coming out in one year next year. Um, And so it's going to be harder and harder to find a good weekend and stretch of time by yourself at the box office to make the money that you would have. So I think HBO Max is just trying to think of how do we cut down our losses on this and try to make the best out of a bad situation and go, okay, we really need to invest in HBO Max. Disney's already at 70 plus million subscribers for Disney Plus. We're not even close to that. And I think it's, they are realizing they need content to draw people in. I think this is a strategic long-term move, even if it sucks in the short term. That uh, that's interesting you bring that up because I, I was under the impression that DC was going to delay some films like I know Marvel has done. Is that they have not delayed any of their? Films? Oh no, they have. They have. Um, like the oh. Suicide Squad, I think is now coming August 2021, which bumped that like three months. It's more just the further down stuff. Like we still oh. have the Batman coming out, Shazam two, Aquaman two, hopefully without Amber Heard. Um, <laughs> yeah. Black Adam. We've got all these major DC projects that 
will probably want to plant their flag somewhere that people around them won't compete for their attention for a while and next year alone is going to have a lot of big name titles so like you could still be the big dog on campus but you're not going to be as big as you were because you've got another big dog on campus riding your heels for that box office oh sure yeah absolutely okay so, so another movie that i genuinely thought we would not get any progress on this for a really long time i thought this project may or may not have been dead in the water is deadpool 3 i thought that with the acquisition of fox by disney i thought we'd be in limbo for a really long time with deadpool i i just didn't know what the future of it would be because deadpool is a hard r-rated franchise i enjoy the franchise but it doesn't necessarily fit into what kevin feige has built well might have been wrong about that as it seems like deadpool 3 now has its own writers uh the writers of bob's burgers now i'll be honest i've never seen bob's burgers i know a lot of people rave about it i've never seen it i'm more just surprised that we have writers that ryan reynolds has brought on and seemingly approved by marvel the question still to me is is this in a pocket universe separate from the mcu is this going to be in the mcu uh i don't know i think had deadpool not had two incredibly successful already movies already this would be a lot easier of a decision for kevin feige um because i've always been under the impression that deadpool could work as a pg-13 but so you've already set the precedent and people have come to expect that Deadpool will be rated R. And that's fine. People will be like, Deadpool doesn't work as PG-13. Look at Once Upon a Deadpool when they re-released Deadpool 2 in theaters and made it a PG-13 version. That didn't work because you were trying to fit a circle into a square peg, basically. Circle peg into a square hole, basically. Of You're trying to shoehorn a R-rated movie into a PG-13 construct. If you go making a PG-13 from the offset, you can probably do that. I've said from the get-go, even before the first Deadpool came out, I think it would be even funnier if, he, whenever he tries to swear, there's an omniscious, um, all-knowing sensor beep that either covers his mouth or straight-up bleeps him. I think it would be even funnier if it covers his mouth because he's already got a mask. So what would be the point of the... But it would make it funny. Uh, and then he could just look at the camera and go, oh, right, the mouse owns my butt now, or something like that. I... I'm still questioning if this will be in the MCU. I know a lot of people are like, oh, but I want him to cross over with Spider-Man or the X-Men in the MCU. I'm like, eh, it's not that simple. Um, but cool. I like the franchise so far, and I do want to see it continue. It's just a matter of how. Yeah, I, I think like the, the idea of self-awareness, you know, breaking the fourth wall, I think that's something they absolutely can use to their advantage here. Um, and, and to and use it to great effect, uh, because you can still tell uh, the stories that have the same themes, and you can really push the boundaries of PG-13 nowadays more than you could five six years ago. And with the creativity uh, being a little bit, uh, you know, a little more free reign uh, on these, uh, at least traditionally, I, I think I don't think this is an issue at all. It'll just again kind of it, you know, it'll actually because it being a third film, it will actually make it feel fresh. It won't feel like just a second repeat because people know 
people would know if this was this was still in Fox, okay? And it was the it was the, the third second sequel, the third uh, movie in the trilogy. And people would kind of know what to expect as far as jokes and humor um, and and is like the crudeness and uh, the violence and, and stuff. People there wouldn't be really any surprises. Um, this way, it seems like you get some surprises, possibly. Um, I think they would actually if, if I had if I was a betting man, I would put on the fact that they, they do not put this in the universe Um or if they do, they make fun of the fact that he's in that universe now and he has to play by their rules. Hence, maybe the whole PG-13 censored thing. Um, and maybe he can joke about not being happy about it. It adds another layer to the film that people would love. And again, it's self-aware. So I, I think this is good news for Deadpool fans. I don't think they have any... I understand their reason to lament, but I don't think there'll, there'll be any, any reason to once the movie comes out. I think it'll be justified in that. Yeah, I don't see them bringing him into the MCU because even if you now make him PG-13 in the MCU, you'll have kids that are meeting him for the first time because they only watch MCU movies going, well, where did Deadpool come from? I want to learn more about him. And then they'll want to go back and watch the first two Deadpools, which are hard, are. It, it doesn't really, like, it works for us adults, but for kids, there's a lot of kids that watch the MCU. I would not encourage kids to see the Deadpool movies. I know some parents let them. I just, I wouldn't because there's a lot of mature stuff in that. And that's fine. <laughs> that's the character of Deadpool. Do I think Deadpool's a little over the top at times and a little bit of an overrated character? Sure, but I still enjoy him. But he is definitely not an MCU... I don't, don't want to say MCU worthy, but like MCU appropriate character. Um, sure. I still would like to see more of him. And I've heard some fun ideas of at the end of Deadpool 2 when he tries to go back in time and undo all the bad stuff and he kills Ryan Reynolds' Green Lantern and all that fun stuff. Maybe people are like, well, maybe if he went back in time, he mixed, he changed the timeline and now he is in the MCU. I'm like, that'd be fun. But I don't think that's part of Kevin Feige's plan, which don't you mess with Kevin Feige's plan. I feel like you're going to end up missing if someone messes with Kevin Feige's plan because uh, we know he likes to map things out except for you know the next Spider-Man movie which I still don't think it's fully mapped out but that's a rant for another day overall I think this is good this is the first solid progress we've had on Deadpool 3 in a very long time because I'm trying to remember when the second one even came out like 2016 2017 do you remember Michael uh, 2017, I believe. I mean, I can look that up real quick. That's no problem. But you know, while while I'm doing so, I I remember actually how excited you and Josh were back, um, back in school. Uh, Deadpool first one was 2016. Deadpool two was 2018. Okay. Um, but how excited you guys were for it, and I didn't go and see it. I just, I I just personally not a movie that I was interested in. But um, you know, as as a fan, that that you see this happening going forward, are you happy regardless, or are you are you reserved at all? Uh, I'm a little reserved just because okay. um, the big factor of how this has been is Ryan Reynolds has been so instrumental to this franchise. And I know I know he's not going anywhere anytime soon, but like he has fostered this um, franchise so much uh, and cares about so much. And I don't see anything going bad under his watch. But at the same time, it's just like, we have a good thing going here. 
switching hands might not be the best thing. It's just saying change can either be good or bad. You never know. Um, it, I don't know. Ryan Reynolds, so long as he is still attached, I will remain optimistic because he cares about Deadpool. So as long as he's still involved to some degree, I'll remain optimistic. I'm just, I'm not optimistic or pessimistic at this point. I'm just uncertain of what to make of this news. Hmm. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can, I understand your hesitancy and, um, I think, uh, my hesitancy, uh, will match yours with our next story here. Honestly, believe it or not, I am actually more optimistic about this one than you might be. Um, so the predator franchise has been beaten and kicked and tossed around and disregarded for a while. And some people out there, I am not one of them, but some people out there would say that the only good Predator movie is the first one, to which I will vehemently argue with you that 2011's Predator with Adrian Brody is awesome, and Alien vs. Predator really isn't that bad either. Um, But now we seem to be getting a new Predator movie from 10 Cloverfield Lane director Dan Trachtenberg. Now, because this is me, and I have to always throw that out there, of the six degrees of separation between whatever we're talking about and Uncharted, at this point last year, Dan Trachtenberg was still on track to direct the Uncharted movie. He was the last director to leave the project before we have the director that we have now that finished production with Ruben Fleischer. Just as soon as I saw Dan Trachtenberg, I was like, oh, you're the Uncharted guy that left for creative differences. Um... I should know him from 10 Cloverfield Lane. Good movie. Um, I'm optimistic about this because I liked 10 Cloverfield Lane, but also there is nowhere to go but up. I didn't hate 2018's Predator, but also it wasn't great by any stretch at all. And a lot of people hated it. I'm indifferent primarily because to me, Predator franchises, it's fine. It's fun. Um, It's never anything special to me. I just didn't grow up with it. I watched it late. Even the original Predator, I think, is a fun movie, but nothing spectacular except for some fantastic um, creature design. Uh, But I think this is a good thing overall. I'm more than anything shocked that Disney is moving so quickly on this because this is one of those franchises that they acquired when they bought 20th Century Fox. And I thought they'd be leaving this dormant for a little bit because Predator is a bit like Terminator at this point. They keep trying every couple years, insisting, this will be the one, this will be the one that fixes it. And it's not. Not all of them are bad. Like I said, I like 2011's Predator. But I don't think the name Predator is as strong of a box office draw as it used to be. However, I think there is one ingredient that could theoretically get butts back into seats. And... Um, after I say it, I'll toss it over to you, Michael. I think there's one bullet left in the chamber for the Predator franchise that they could theoretically salvage themselves with. Say it with me, everybody. Arnie coming back as Dutch. Yeah. It's not unprecedented. Jamie Lee Curtis coming back for Halloween. Nev Campbell coming back for Scream. Um, Robert England coming back in some capacity for some story we'll talk about later. It is now a cool thing for actors to come back to franchises that they were once attached to. I bet you anything, Arnie comes back for this movie as Dutch in some capacity. Yeah, that would be uh, certainly interesting. Obviously, it's uh, 
reprisals as the Terminator. Um, you know, I mean, he is 72. He's not getting any younger, so this would be a time to do it. Um, that would be very interesting. Uh, I'll just, uh, I mean, I don't know, in the same way that the Alien franchise could use Sigourney Weaver again uh, and not used in a horrible, bitter, bitter way. I, I'm, I'm bitter about the Predator franchise and Alien franchises the same. I'll stay on topic here, but I'm not really hopeful, but I will say you are 100% right. If that is the final bullet in the chamber and they fire that particular storyline out there, I'd be 100% on board. But I'm not going to react to hypotheticals at this point because I really think the Predator franchise has been done pretty bad. I, I had fun uh, with Predators, uh, with Adrian Brody. I did have fun with it. Um, it's just that it's a, it's a genre just ill-defined. Uh, or at least a movie franchise, very, very ill-defined. But I really do like the first one. It has it has a lot of, it's creepy. It is, I think, genuinely scary. The creature design is hideous, and I think that adds to it. And it's it's a, it reckons back, or harkens back to an era that um, just movie magic, it had just something about it. There was like the X factor with all of the cast. And I just haven't gotten that since, but uh, Arnold was a was a big part of it. So I don't know. Here's to hoping. Which at this point right now, which franchise do you think needs the CPR worse, the Predator franchise or the Alien franchise? Which franchise do you think is in a worse state? Oh, 100% Alien. Um, Predator has has been less carefree. Has been more carefree uh, for good reason. Alien franchise is unfortunately has been ruined a lot and then scattered a lot by its own creator uh, with Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. I love the way Ridley Scott's films look. They're shot so amazingly well. Um, they have some of the best effects, um, but the storyline is just all over the place. And I'm a sucker for Xenomorph. I'm a sucker for any sci-fi or aliens, any any sort of extraterrestrial uh, uses in film. I absolutely love. But uh, Alien is on life support, and that uh, and that that just that the whole thing just happens to me, to be honest. But that Predator, I'm rather indifferent to. But the first one, come on, let's bring back the magic. And I, I'll maybe if your theory's right, maybe the maybe the Fox merger can also bring back Alien in a good way too. I've I've told you this for many years, but I'll say it for our listeners. I think number one for Alien is it's gonna suck for Alien fans to hear this, but the number one thing you need right now is nothing. You need time away yeah. doing absolutely nothing. You need absence makes the heart grow fonder. You need to be away from this franchise long enough for people to miss it again. Like again, yeah. I just said it earlier, but Halloween. The reason why Halloween twenty eighteen works so well is the last Halloween movie before it was in 2009, and the last good one was in 1998. So there was this long gap of people not getting the Halloween that they really, really wanted. So for Alien, unfortunately, right now, you've got to go a long way, I think, without it for a little bit for people to care about it again. I, I'm i optimistic about this Predator thing, and maybe... So here's where my craziness comes in. Uh, got the tinfoil hat at the ready. I wouldn't be surprised if this goes well, if we do see a relaunch of Alien falling on the heels of it shortly after, and they kind of put the option back on the table for Alien vs. Predator, but not just plop it on the table, but actually build it like an Avengers-type movie of actual build-up. Because while I don't mind Alien vs. Predator, the first one, there's a lot of money to be made with those franchises, I think, 
in a build-up event. I I would not be surprised, knowing how Disney operates, if that's not something that they're at least considering is re- not a remake of it, but recrossing the streams, if you will, on those franchises in the long, long, long term. Yeah, that I think you know by like twenty thirty uh, for sure, and I think that's the that's the problem though is that time. If you want to bring back these beloved actors, is not on their side. You know, Arnold being seventy three, Sigourney Weaver being seventy one. Um, not talking about with effects and 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 makeup and everything, and you know, we're potentially with where where are things going here uh, in the future when it comes to you know digital uh, digital recreations and resurrections. Like I'm, I'm really ethically challenged on that one, mm. but. Uh, you know, it, there is something to be said about having the real actor there doing the, you know, on on set interacting in the same way. And you can use a lot of um, doubles to, to cover a lot of the action stuff, of course, a lot of the stunts. Like, that's that's not what I'm saying. I just I, I want these, you know, these actors to, to be alive to, to reprise the roles in, in these beloved franchises, because I think it will help. I mean, they've been trying to do it, um, at least with Sigourney Weaver, for a very long time without any success. But. Part of that's been Ridley Scott because he's not one to tell that story. Um, so I, I hope maybe you know in the in the distant future, if they if Disney pulls their cards right, they don't like to do anything with any half effort, right? Because they want to be able to maximize profit. Well, and they unless realize, it's the sequel trilogy. Yeah, yeah, but they did make a lot of money though. That's uh, I mean that's, that's and the shattered thing, the that... franchise in half until John Favreau yeah. and Dave Filoni came it, back and goes. Came back. Well, the thing is, they learned. They learned from their mistake there. I mean, they realized that... You they know, learned they, they, they need to fire Kathleen Kennedy. Well, well, I would say that they knew... It, it's unfortunate for a studio to be self-aware because they knew people were going to see them regardless, so their incentive is less than, than in, a, in a franchise like this that doesn't make a lot of money. So since they have them and they want to produce a film, they'll want to be very sure to put out a quality film because they have a lot of, you know... Uh, data to go on what happens when you don't make a quality film with like the previous eight films in these total franchises combined Mm. i'm not gonna lie this next news story is probably the one i'm most excited to talk about today and it's also the most out of left field but not out of left field i'll explain why for both um the lego movie directors phil lord and chris miller are apparently in talks to direct a Universal Monster movie starring Channing Tatum. So my initial reaction is, okay, it's Lord Miller. This movie has to be a comedy, right? Like, they're the comedy guys. Lego movie, great. Love both the Jump Street movies. Uh, Love the first quality with the chance of meatballs. Uh, This has to be a comedy, right? Also, as soon as you say the words Universal Monsters don't care i'm there in a heartbeat that's just my thing i've i've even seen the benicio del toro wolfman i love it it's not that bad just the cgi is awful but the rest of the movie's not that bad and i don't think channing tatum's that bad of an actor especially working with lord miller like to me he was just a teenage heartthrob whatever in a lot of movies until i saw him in jump street in which case Oh my gosh, it's been a long time since someone made me laugh as hard as he did. Especially there's one scene in 22 Jump Street. For those that know it, when he finds out what Jonah Hill's been doing with the captain's daughter, oh my gosh, I 
legitimately had tears in my eyes from laughing so hard the first time I saw that in theaters. Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum have great chemistry. Now, I have a theory. It's just a theory as to what movie that might be. But before I get into that and hold you all in suspense, Michael, you see that the Lego movie guys are doing a Universal Monster movie with the guy from Magic Mike. What you thinking? Well, I mean, it's certainly interesting ensemble so far. Uh, not unlike what we're going to talk about later with our creations for this week. Um, I, I'm a, I do enjoy uh, any good monster film. Uh, I'm, I'm a sucker for that as well. Um, so I'm already interested just as much as you are. Uh, Universal Monsters, okay. I'm already intrigued. And then you you put on qualified uh, actor or qualified directors, okay, good. All right, this is getting better. And then you know an actor, okay, even better. Now for me, I, I'm sold so far. I will continue listening. I was in the pitch meeting. I would say so and so, please continue. Uh, you have my full and undivided attention. Now depends on what they're trying to pitch, though. Now you have like the actual content, which is unknown. Uh, we don't know what they're, what they're pitching, which is, I bet, what you're going to try to hold me in suspense for, because my question to you, Nate, is what are they most likely to do? I, I don't know that universe as well as you do, so like you're going to have to sell me on the content here. I know a lot of people will go to the obvious of, like, maybe it's a Frankenstein movie or a Dracula. We can't do Invisible Man because we just did that. Uh, and I said it wasn't surprising because Universal, since Invisible Man did so well, they're just like, uh, you'll get a monster movie you get a monster movie you get a monster movie but unlike the tom cruise the mummy which is the worst movie of 2017 i hate that movie so much it's so bad um unlike that they're not trying to make these movies connected anymore it's basically if there's a talented director with a good movie sure you can make this movie like we're getting a new dracula movie by uh karen kusama who did uh jennifer's body uh there's rumors of john krasinski doing um a Brides of Dracula movie. I'm okay with this. And I'll tell you who I think they're doing. I don't think they're going with any of the conventional Universal Monsters. I think this is going to be a Jekyll and Hyde movie. I would not be surprised if Channing Tatum is a Mr. Hyde type character. The good looking serial killer type to a maybe like a Jonah Hill type Dr. Jekyll of he drinks this potion and becomes the good-looking Chang Tatum. But when he does, one, it freaks him out. And there's where the comedy comes in. But also, he's got this bloodlust. I can see Chang Tatum as a villain. He went to a very dark place for Foxcatcher, which, spoiler alert, Foxcatcher will not be the last time we talk about that. This will not be the last time we talk about Foxcatcher today in this episode. Um... I like Channing Tatum as an actor. I just think this is going to be an unconventional pick for them. I, when I saw this, it's racked my brain for a little bit going, what, what, what'd they do? And then the, just the more I look at Channing Tatum and the reputation that is Channing Tatum and I go, I just smell Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde here. It's a franchise or story that we haven't heard in a while. It's one of the often overlooked universal monsters and I think there's a lot of interesting both dark but also comedic elements that you can glean from that. If nothing else, Lord and Miller are excellent with comedy. I this, There's nothing to base this on. This is just my out-of-left-field pick. I just see Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde for some reason in this. 
Yeah, that's that's very intriguing, um, and so something that I'd be interested in. Uh, I can see that particular role. I mean, because honestly, when was the last time we saw Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde like portrayed him in film? Oh, any, any small oh gosh, books? it's been a very long time. Was it? Was it honestly the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Oh, oh, that I don't know what movie you're talking about. That movie doesn't exist. That's funny. I, th- I mean, that's the only time. Of course, he was like a Hulk type of creature there. Um, I guess I don't know. A whole oh lot no, no, he was in Van Helsing. I... He was in Van Helsing. Oh, was he? Okay. Well, what? Who is? The, I mean, I guess Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Like, what is? I know the the lore, but he doesn't actually turn into a, like a monster monster, does he? Like, what's the? He like... basically like when he drinks the potion, he becomes a separate. It's basically Hulk before Hulk, except instead of getting angry, it's whenever he drinks the potion, and he has no memory of being Mister Hyde, basically. Also, for those okay. that remember, it created that traumatizing episode of Arthur with the library episode. Jekyll, Jekyll, hi, oh, Jekyll, wow. hi, hi, Jekyll, 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 hi, Jekyll, uh, hi. That is, uh, are you talking about the TV show, Arthur? Yeah, man, that episode was terrifying. Oh, I don't, I that's don't the one with Brain. I, I wasn't the biggest Arthur. Oh, yeah, that's when Brain uh, gets a library card and discovers horror. Oh, that's interesting. I don't remember that. Um, sorry, I was a, I was more of a Zoomafoo myself. Uh, See, Zoom um, or Zoomafoo? Interesting. Zoomafoo, you know, Animal Junction, you know, yeah, uh, I, the, uh, Zabu the lemur. You were breaking up a little bit, so I couldn't tell if you said Zoomafoo or oh. Zoom, because both of them. Oh, are great. I'm sorry about that. Um, sorry, but yeah, I see wonderful, wonderful internet. I see Jekyll and Hyde in this because. Everything okay. else is kind of being in some form of development. Like I said, Dracula's coming. Um, some form of a Frankenstein is coming. Some form of a Bride of Frankenstein is coming. And unfortunately, we're not getting a Guillermo del Toro creature from the Black Lagoon as much as I desperately want that because there is no one more qualified than he, even though he already made The Shape of Water, which is basically the creature from the Black Lagoon. Hmm. Now, uh, which, uh, which that, that, by the way, I've never seen that. So I would love to see, cause like the creature in black lagoon, like that is, that is due for all oh my gosh. I would see that in a heartbeat if they remade that right now. Mm. A movie that I have no desire to see, but at the same time, <laughs> it's like watching a car wreck. You can't look away and I'll explain why in a little bit, but we got a, our only trailer this week is for a, movie called Chaos Walking, which, if I just told you the stars, you'd be like, oh, wow, that's going to be a big movie. You've got Tom Holland, Daisy Ridley, Mads Mikkelsen, and then I tell you, yeah, this movie's coming out next year, but guess what? It was filmed in 2017. Um, oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah, guys, Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley are in this. Tom Holland filmed this after Spider-Man Homecoming... And Daisy Ridley filmed this after Star Wars The Last Jedi. This is how long this movie has been actually done. Because according to early reports, uh, I think this movie was supposed to come out in like 2018 or 2019. But according to the people on set and in production, the original cut of this movie was unwatchable. So I, knowing everything about this movie going into it and how many production issues it's had i was trying to be as open-minded as i could but as soon as i saw the trailer pop up i was like oh yeah is that that nightmare movie 
that nightmare production movie. Let's let's see if it's as much of a train wreck as I anticipate it will be. I watched the trailer and it doesn't look awful, but it was so hard to detach myself from the issues that I know this movie is known for of like basically scrapping it and starting from the ground up all over again of like they had to bring back a whole bunch of people and those actors did not look like they did before. Um, As a trailer, I didn't think it was bad. To me, it kind of looked like a Netflix movie from the trailer. And I was really trying not to think about all the issues that I know this movie has. Even with that, that, I thought the trailer was just bizarre. But we needed to talk about it because this is... This movie's gonna be a trip, I can tell you that now. But, Michael, you've seen the trailer for Chaos Walking with two of the biggest names in Hollywood right now. What you thinking? Yeah, um, the screenshots you have here are more interesting than what I watched earlier. Um, and so, I... Uh, yeah, I, there's at I least mean, a dog here. Yeah, I mean, which is really funny considering the tone. But that looks like they're teaming up to go on an adventure, not... A post-apocalyptic Earth and dream like everyone could read each other's thoughts and Daisy Ridley's the only female. It's like with a it's, terrible, terrible it's wig. It's always based, yeah, based on a, always a best-selling, uh, best-selling book series. Like yeah, okay. Um, listen, I'm not gonna see it. Uh, I wasn't gonna see it anyway. Uh, this isn't gonna make me see it uh, unless. Honestly, unless you tell me to go see it, I'm not going to see it. It's that simple. It wasn't very much impressed. I'm not really interested in the plot uh, at all. And uh, really, I mean, that's just my, my thoughts on the matter. I don't have anything more or less to say. It's like, uh, you know, development hell for X amount of years. Like you said, shot three years ago. Um, even if, when people are just putting it out begrudgingly because like, hey, you want to see if we can't make a little bit of money? New mutants. I'm not going to be a... Hey, I'm not going to be a confident consumer, so I'll let you sacrifice for the rest of us. Dude, I ain't seeing this in theaters. I'm waiting until this hits like somewhere that it's free, like Tubi or TNT. I'm not. I don't even think streaming services will want that. Streaming services will want content. I don't think this is one that they'll want. They'll be like, "No, thanks. We'll pass. We'd rather have New Mutants than you." And that, right now, that's saying something. Ooh. Um, it, I will say at least the visual component of seeing Tom Holland's thoughts like around his head that looked interesting but this as a premise does not work for me and I was so distracted as I have been in the set photos and everything else of how bad Daisy Ridley's wig looks it looks just wonky and I'm going, you've got some interesting people in this movie. you got Tom Holland, Daisy Ridley, Mads Mikkelsen. There's some interesting names attached to this. But it's so hard to remove myself from all the issues and problems that we've heard about this movie. If it was good, this movie would have come out two years ago. That's New Mutants bad. But, oh boy. Well, for our last news topic, I almost didn't put this in the notes, but... It's still worth talking about, especially considering I'm sure a lot of you out there are huge Stranger Things fan, as I am as well. Well, most of the season. Season 2, I wish, never happened, but um, they redeemed itself with Season 3. 
Stranger Things is very much a love letter to 80s movies, TV, all things 80s. And they've done so with casting famous actors from the 80s. You had um, Sean Austin, who was in The Goonies. Uh, you had Carrie Elwes in Princess Bride. Well, now add Freddy Krueger himself, Robert Englund, in a new role in Stranger Things Season 4. He supposedly will be playing in like a mentally insane person that killed a bunch of people. Uh, I actually... As much of a horror fan as I am, I have never seen any of the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Um, just don't have any desire. I've seen every Friday the 13th. I've seen all the Halloweens. Freddy Krueger just don't do it for me. That being said, I got excited reading this because horror is often stigmatized as if you are a well-known actor in a horror in the horror genre, it is very hard for you to break into the mainstream as a credible actor for whatever reason. People seem to think... Because you're in a horror movie, no matter what the horror movie is, that you are a B-plus level actor at best. So I appreciate when filmmakers go, no, I liked you from something. Let's put you in here. I've seen Robert Englund in interviews. He seems like a wonderful, pleasant individual. And he is desperate to come back for another Nightmare on Elm Street. And there's been talk of them doing it. It's just a little complicated because the rights to the franchise belong with Wes Craven's estate ever since he passed away. So they're kind of working through those issues. Um, I think this is really, really cool. I'm happy for the guy. I'm not the biggest Nightmare on Elm Street fan. But anytime classic horror or horror icons get recognized i'm okay with that and i'm a fan of that i appreciate that and the duffer brothers i think have done a good job of that um michael i don't think we've ever talked about are have you seen stranger things uh, i watched the first season out off of a recommendation from a friend and i watched it in one night uh i i watched <laughs> started watching it at eight eight o'clock and i didn't go to bed till about 4 a.m that was a very long day at work the next day. Yeah, uh, but I just I couldn't I couldn't put it down. I watched the first episode of season two, and I have not watched Stranger Things since. Yeah, just that. skip to season three. Trust me, season three is awesome. Season two was mm-hmm. awful. I uh, I have not gone back. Uh, this though makes complete sense. It's funny that you're saying that this guy who just played Freddy is playing the same person who killed people. So apparently he's just playing Freddy. Um, well, so, apparently uh, like, he killed him in real life and not in the dream world. So there's a little bit of a difference. Yeah, I mean maybe he's that way in the upside down. I, I have no idea that, but I think it's pretty great. Um, what, a, what I mean, a great addition uh, to uh, to this show. People will love it. Um, not nothing but uh, good things stay here after that maybe that this will continue and i wish them nothing but success is season five is that coming next fall season four it's season four they're filming it right now they're filming it right now i believe so uh that brings me to a secondary question attached to this i know you haven't seen a lot of it but um they bring in older actors like sakariel with sean austin um winona ryder Mm -hmm. if you had your pick of like those um, either obscure actors from the 80s or actors that might not be as big as they were as they were in the 80s for Stranger Things in some role. Is there any names that stick out to you? Like for me, Jamie Lee Curtis. I love me some Jamie Lee Curtis and whatever she's in. Or Jandel Harris from Halloween's 4 and 5. Um, they already had Carrie Elwes. I love me some Carrie Elwes. 
Um, any 80s names that stick out to you that you would like to see on the show? I mean, it would be interesting to throw like a Sigourney Weaver out there. I mean, I think that'd be hilarious. She's um, the same character she was in in Holes. Let's do that. Yeah, just yeah, exactly. Uh, just throw her as maybe as a conspiracy theorist as well. Maybe throw in the fact that she was once abducted by aliens or something. Like, you just have a little more fun with it um, and have her somewhat connected uh, through the story that way. Um, I think of maybe like maybe you can you can take uh, maybe an actor star, for example, uh, his name is eluding me right now. Just a second. Um, he was in the he was in Predator, and he's in uh, yeah, Carl Weathers. Like throw Carl Weathers out Carl there. Carl Weathers like, would be a great yeah, name. Good. Yeah, Carl so, Weathers like, and Dolph Lundgren. The people like that. Mm. <laughs> it's right. Uh, um, Jean Claude Van Damme. Please. Uh, ooh, that? ooh, that'd be fun. Um, <laughs> the weird thing is. Like, I like Stranger Things, but the thing I'm most excited about for season four is they've already announced that one of the characters, his job, his like his part-time job that he has is working at a family video, to which I'm just going, yay, family video, my happy place. Um, Save the video store, people. Family video is awesome. Um, with that said, our sponsor this week, um, I don't know. No sponsor this week because we're too. Ex- I'm just too excited to go into our main discussion because I've been I've been <laughs> thinking about this all week. I really have um, because it's so much fun. Um, so again, think of this like fantasy sports. We have our top picks of like a movie project that we would like to see, a director that we would like to see do it, and maybe some names to be in it. I'm gonna start with the big elephant in the room that I have been standing on my rooftop yelling and screaming for four years, and I will continue to yell and scream. And also, since it's our picture, I feel like I'll get the elephant out of the way now. With the first pick in our movie fantasy draft, I select Superman, The Man of Steel, directed by Brad Bird and starring one Henry Cavill. I debated between... um, Superman, the Man of Steel, and Superman, Man of Tomorrow for a name for this. Um, but we just got an animated movie called The Man of Tomorrow a few months ago, and it, it was fine. A little awkward, because there's a lot of awkward pauses of, like, felt like there should have been music in the background, but there wasn't. It, it's a little good movie. Um, but I think with Superman, the Man of Steel, or the Man of Steel Superman, however you want to name it, you could theoretically still say the Zack Snyder movies did in fact happen, but I would kind of do it as a semi-reboot. Plus, I have been saying for a very, very long time, and it's its own separate video if you want to check it out, Brad Bird is responsible for one of my favorite movies of all time, The Iron Giant, which I still to this day say is the best Superman movie ever made. It's about a ultimate weapon that comes from another planet that's adopted by a local farm family that has to learn what his powers are and learn about the world that he's sent to and basically chooses to be a hero in spite of everything he even reads superman comics he's a superman archetype whether he realizes it or not making the ultimate sacrifice like superman and what are his last words before he makes his ultimate sacrifice Superman. Even take Iron Giant out of the equation. Brad Bird is a phenomenal director. The Incredibles, Ratatouille, my favorite of the Mission Impossibles, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. I love this guy as a director. Sure, Tomorrowland was 
Tomorrowland. Um, but I still think he's a great choice for a Superman movie. I I like Christopher McQuarrie too, but I want Brad Bird so bad for a Superman movie. And if you're doing a Superman movie, it's got to be Henry Cavill. Dang it, because I haven't necessarily loved all of his movies. I like Man of Steel. I hate Batman vs. Superman with every fiber of my being, and it just makes me sad. It makes me very depressed for Superman of how he's represented. Um, but I think doing it like this, Superman, the Man of Steel, you wouldn't alienate the Snyder fans. You still say, yes, this happened. The Snyder trilogy or whatever it ends up being, that was Superman's origin. Now we've moved past that, and he can truly live the Superman life that he's supposed to. And we wouldn't have to change anything in his past, except for maybe, you know, retcon the fact that Jimmy Olsen gets brutally murdered, but whatever. Um, Michael, I know you've heard me rambling and raving about this for years now as the madman, but um, you down for this? Uh, 100%. Uh, I mean, the director alone, you, you sold me. I mean, I, I trust whoever they would cast, but Henry Cavill, I would agree. He's He's got the look, the part, the commitment. He, he has the drive to do it. Um, I definitely can see uh, this this movie like I can envision it like to a T. And it's funny that you actually mentioned the Iron Giant because I will just get mine out of the way because my number one would be a live action Iron Giant movie directed by Steven Spielberg. Ooh, and with okay. and with with Vin Diesel uh, playing and reprising his role and doing mo mocap work uh, for uh, for the giant. Now, this is 1950s Cold War era. So it's a it's a period piece that I know Spielberg could do well. Like he'd actually get the look right, and that's what I think is is like getting the look right, like the color gradient, the cinematography, as well as the effects. That's something I would trust with very few directors. I know Spielberg could do it very well, and he has a talent for uh, making you know non-human uh, you know entities like relatable. And so I would trust him with that. I'd have no, no idea the cast stars his mom or Dean um, or uh, Mansley uh, or the general. I really don't. Um, to me, that doesn't necessarily matter because I think it's, you got to get the director and you got to get Vin Diesel back. Um, that is, that is something, you know, my, my parents, they show that to me. It's one of the first movies I ever remember watching. I watched it uh, on vacation uh, on VHS and my parents loved that movie and my dad for years ever since i took an interest in film he goes when are they going to make an iron giant 2 when are they going to make an iron giant 2 and he still teases me about it to this day and uh you know for me uh it, it's something that is one of my favorite films of all time and uh, i would love to see a live action version of it. i think it could be very successful too i almost completely forgot as you're talking this dude lives on my desk at all times oh like, all right yeah, like <laughs> Iron Giant has to live at my desk at all times. Uh, I have the Iron Giant pop over here somewhere, which I'm still a little mad that the um, Iron Giant pop that came with Ready Player One is just the exact same one as regular Iron Giant. I'm Like, you could have changed it a little bit or made him more metallic, but whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm down for that. Uh, I almost put that on my list, but I'm so emotionally attached to it that I just couldn't narrow it down. However, I do actually have Steven Spielberg on here. Um uh, I debated between him and somebody else for a project, but you said Steven Spielberg's really good with um, making you care about extraterrestrial beings. Um, while there's no extraterrestrial beings in this movie for me, he's also really, really well known for getting the most out of children. 
and working with children a lot. And so when I was a kid, I had a favorite book series that I have been crying to high heaven needs to be a movie or a TV series. And Netflix is reportedly developing a series, but Netflix drags their feet and cancels stuff left and right. So I think this would be better served as a movie. Maybe combine some books since they're all very, very short. But my next pick in my fantasy draft, directed by Steven Spielberg, The Magic Treehouse. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, boy. Okay. Go. I'm already on board. I'll greenlight it. You want me to give you some money? <laughs> oh, my God. Now, I, the problem is are Jack and Annie, who is supposed to be like, um, it's either nine and eight or seven and eight. They're both very, very young. So the thing is, I don't know if there's any actors that out there currently, I think they would like discover some new talents. If I had to though, I would probably say the actor, uh, if I remember his name, right. Ian Armitage, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, AKA CBS's young Sheldon as Jack. I see, Hmm. I see him for the role. Uh, Annie, it's supposed to be a year younger than him. I don't know if anybody is out there young enough for that. And they might have to age up the characters, but I need a magic tree house so bad. And also, I don't know if they would do justice to my Franklin Little Bear crossover that I've been screaming even longer about. And also, I couldn't think of a director for that. Um, Quentin Tarantino. Oh my. Quentin Tarantino yeah. for Stop. Franklin Little Bear crossover. Um, but please... I will sacrifice Magic Treehouse for a Frank Little Bear crossover. I will weep happy tears. But in all honesty, Magic Treehouse is a gold mine of untapped potential. For those heathens that don't know what Magic Treehouse is, it's basically these two kids that discover a treehouse with uh, all these books inside. And so when they read them, they say, I wish we could go there. And via some special magic, they are transported to wherever it is <gasps> I didn't even make this connection but Michael what's one of Steven Spielberg's most famous movies involving gigantic creatures I mean well I mean gigantic creatures mm-hmm. like you're not talking about like the are you talking about live, live well not live action what's his or, most famous movie that came out in 1993 uh, spawned a massive franchise this is really bad, isn't it? Did I uh, spawned a massive franchise from 1993? It was the biggest movie of 1993. Pioneered. We clocked the T Rex at 45 miles an hour. Oh, okay, Jurassic Park. Okay, sorry. Sorry. Steve, since Michael's brain isn't working, Steven Spielberg did Jurassic Park. Fun fact yes, the very first book, the very first book in the Match Treehouse series. Dinosaurs Before Dawn. I didn't even make this connection. You've got Steven Spielberg, who has worked with kids extensively and features children prominently in his stories. The first book is about dinosaurs. Come on, make it work. And as we go through the, we find out that the kids are actually working for uh, Morgana Le Fay. Not Morgan Le Fay. Mor- uh, it's Morgan Le Fay, not Morgana. It was confusing when I discovered Morgan Le Fay is actually evil. Because in the books, she works with Merlin. It's mm. it's retcon, but whatever. Um, maybe have the kids go to like this dinosaur world, go back in time. But the thing is, you don't have to. The wonderful thing about Matt Treehouse is every single book, they go to a different time period. They've gone to the Civil War. They've gone to the Amazon. Um, 
my favorite was always the Christmas one where they fight dragons. This has unlimited potential, and it could be so much fun. Since they're not doing anything at all with the Narnia franchise, this could be a really, really fun thing, that, especially for um, younger kids. You're absolutely right. Oh my gosh! And you, would you picture like a like like a period piece per film that they wouldn't jump multiple locations like Scooby Doo and the Cyber Chase type of thing? Or better yet, all the realities start crossing over into each other into our normal world. So you've got dinosaurs and dinosaurs before dawn. Um, maybe the rainforest starts coming to them in Amazon. Um at noon or like the world starts coming like reality starts collapsing in on itself and they need to figure out the riddle that morgan lefay left them to make everything go back to normal or something there's just so much story potential yeah there's 50 books to pick from guys it's not that hard yeah that's that would be pretty interesting and uh you know if they do dinosaurs before dawn they could find themselves a baby dinosaur um well, that's a fantastic pick. I doubt many of mine are going to rival as far as like that good of idea. Honestly, uh, Nate, like that, though, that is a heavy hitter. Uh, my <laughs> next pick, this, this is, this is where we're going to get uh, interesting here. So I got to go video game because you gave me free reign here. Figured. figured. I, I, I am a Mass Effect fan through and through. I'm sorry. It is, it, it, yeah, I know. Right? It is a an amazing, amazing franchise. Has an incredible lore, um, you know, developed by Bioware, you know, all from the ground up, and I think that's what makes it incredibly like impactful is that they're not relying on any pre-existing material whatsoever. Um, so I would love a Mass Effect series uh, directed by Christopher McQuarrie, and the reason why is because Ooh. he can he can do he can direct action really well, and he has a lot of heart. In the Mission Impossible Five and Six, there there's a lot of character moments in there that I was. They had no business being in an action movie, honestly. They didn't really have a whole lot. And then the sixth movie, they really got me because they really showed that Ethan Hunt had more of a heart. He still kept his conscious. That's what separated him from other people. And, you know, they actually got Rames to cry on screen uh, because of a moment, uh, you know, uh, that, that he had in vulnerability. So I, there's a lot of heart to it. And it also requires a lot of action and, and use of practical effects. And I think they could be used well. But here is where... I, I truly see it. This this would be, he would be going out of a role that you wouldn't typically see, but he's got the charisma, he's got the looks, he's got the physique for it, but it would require a little bit more seriousness, which I think he could pull off, and I would really love to see a male version of Commander Shepard played by Chris Pratt, and I, I think he could do it really well. Um, it, it's a big name, a little bit different, a little humor where need be, but incredibly charismatic, and that's exactly what uh, Commander Shepard is. That put me down for right now. I don't know why, but when I see the the limited time that I've spent in the world of Mass Effect, um, most of it coming secondhand from you, what I know, the limited knowledge that I have of Shepard, I don't know why, but John Hamm stands out to me as Shepard a lot. Maybe it's the physical looks a lot like him but i yeah. i'd be down for john ham in that role yeah and he he definitely would would come across uh, in that way i think maybe just po- possibly just a little too old maybe uh, i know shepherd's supposed to be like in his mid 30s um and kind of still younger than thrust into this massive leadership role but yeah i i 100 see the look i mean the the my character model they did after it, like has the same look as john ham so 
you know, you know, who, who's this? I don't care who they would necessarily cast. Um, I think, you know, the expanse has also shown us that it doesn't have to be a film either that you can do sci-fi really well with a lot of great effects and tell an amazing story with a relatively unknown cast of characters and still have it be, you know, uh, still have it be a lot of fun. So, uh, whatever. here's the hoping. Yeah. I kind of think mass effect would do really, really well as a series over a movie, but if they made a movie, I would not complain in the slightest. Um, I'm going to continue on my out-of-left-field pick by going with a biopic, of all things. This is a biopic that I've been asking for for a really long time. But once I say who it's about, you'll understand why it hasn't happened. Because, let's just say, a certain company is probably going to put a veto on it and not want it to happen at all. Walt. I would just call it Walt. Mm. The early years of Walt Disney. Now, I know some of you are going to be like, but there was an early years of Walt Disney movie starring David Henry from Wizards of Waverly Place. No, that was made against Disney's permission. They they did not approve of it. Also, it was really, really low budget and really, frankly, awful. I want a Walt Disney movie. And here's where it gets interesting for my book. It's going to be all about him making his first animation studio with some of his buddies. And we're going to end the movie with him on the plane on the train going to california and on that train ride is when he draws mickey mouse for the first time then known as mortimer mouse we don't see him creating the parks or whatever else and creating this big huge empire we do the story small when he's still a young man unsure of himself and still figuring him it out and then we end it with him okay you're destined for great things and who do I want to do this movie? Moneyball's Bennett Miller. I love me some Bennett Miller. I okay. love Moneyball. And especially just the... Describing the cinematography of Moneyball. It's like a homemade chicken noodle soup. It just makes you feel good when you're watching Moneyball. Even though it's a more serious movie. It just has this like comfort and ease to it. I don't have somebody for Walt Disney because I think it's so hard to do, especially for if we're going to younger, like a 17 to a 19 year old Walt Disney. Um, I thought if he was older, maybe like Milo Ventimiglia from This Is Us, as long as it's not Tom Hanks, because God, he was awful in Saving Mr. Banks, and I'll fight anybody who says otherwise. But I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in a often not talked about time in Walt Disney's life. And I know this movie will never happen because some big studio will veto that and i wonder why they don't want to show walt disney in his proper light of the man is not perfect we need to stop pretending that he was um but that's what would make a biopic so interesting what was his flaws where did he come from like what was his life like when he suffered his biggest failure when oswald the lucky rabbit got taken away from him by universal um what were those early days like when he was still green in the business world? What was it like in the early years working with Up Iwerks before they went their separate ways? What was it like working with his brothers? Everyone always talks about the theme parks or the big budget movies. What was life like before Snow White, before everything else, before Mickey, before anything else? have an actual studio and an actual director make this with actual talented people no offense to the movie that did come out but you're kind of a bootleg disney movie that just no i don't know i think that's a character and an act a person that history knows a lot about but doesn't know a lot about 
Yeah, that that I I don't, and I, I think that would be an amazing thing. I'm not a huge biopic fan, honestly. They're they're not really that intriguing to me. Uh, this one would be though because of the history and the impact on our greater culture that I I really would like to see that, especially going back. Um, what an amazing tease of an ending though. Like that would be that would just get people chills. So I'm 100 on board, man. Like seriously, this is you're, you're doing some good stuff here, and uh, I I like where you're going with these picks. I think they're better than mine, to be honest with you. If I'm if I'm, uh, you know, being objective here, um, I spend way I'm too much a, time doing this, dude. I, hey, when I'm bored, no. I'm just like, you know, what would be cool. Let's mash stuff together and see what would be a yeah. good fit, even though it'll never happen. Sure. Well, um, for me, um, this is this is tied to a little bit of Michigan history, um, and and so the, eight this mile is, too. Uh, this, yeah, no, that's funny. Um, so there was the you know, Michigan, we're the Great Lakes state. We have our Great Lakes here and we we are we have a lot of freighters uh, on, on the Great Lakes um, and these freighters carry iron ore and other raw materials all the way from like Wisconsin or Wisconsin, Minnesota, Canada, Michigan. And one of the greatest uh, maritime disasters that we had uh, in the state of Michigan was the uh, loss of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which was a, you know, a thousand foot freighter. That was lost on November 10th, 1975. Uh, we actually had a, a, a song called The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald that was that came out a year later by Gordon Lightfoot that talks about, you know, the loss of all hands, unfortunately. And I've been to the, the Great Lakes uh, Shipwreck Museum, um, which is just located just offshore by a few miles or it's, it's onshore. And the, and the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald is only a few miles offshore from that particular landmark. And um we we have there's a book that was written called the gales of november which talks about the massive storms on lake superior uh lake superior if you don't know is the biggest uh biggest freshwater lake by surface area in the entire world and uh we just have it right here in michigan where i'm, where I'm home where i'm from and, and lake superior is a cold freshwater lake uh it's deep it's it's huge and it gets a lot of storms and it broke it broke this freighter apart and all lives were lost unfortunately and, you know, after seeing the movie uh, in, in 2016, Deepwater Horizon, uh, I saw what Peter Berg uh, can do for a natural disaster film, really capturing a lot of the kind of the horror elements, along with just the, I mean, the atmosphere of that movie was just unbelievable, say, in IMAX. And uh, why not? I mean, why not bring back Mark Wahlberg as well? They've done amazing films together. I can see Mark Wahlberg playing a, like a deckhand. Um, and kind of, you know, having the same ending as he did in the Eye of the Storm, of course. But it wouldn't be the first time he'd be trapped and uh, left to drown. Um, but, uh, like, that would be just something that I personally would see from my state because it was just, uh, I mean, just a tribute to, to I me mean, educate the rest of the world. Like, this thing happened. Here's what, you know, Michigan history was. Here's here's a landmark event that happened here and that we have in a museum. So it could add to tourism. It can just add to the, to you know, the the memories of those who were lost um, coming up on, it will be 50 years here in a few years. Um, so that's what I'd lobby for because I, I, every Michigander for the most part knows about that, that story. Uh, it's heartbreaking and uh, we just passed its anniversary here. So that, that's something I was thinking about. Interesting. If it's always, if it's done well, I'm always down for historical movies. It's just, uh, my thing is always, I need it to be historically accurate. Um, and sometimes that doesn't always happen because you still need narrative dramatic tension. And that may not have actually been there in a historical context. But that, that I think, could be a really interesting tragedy. Um, yeah. 
I have my only horror movie. I'm not going to go into my full The Mummy pitch because I still... I'm sitting on that one for something special because I've been that's been festering in my brain for a while. I have another classic Universal monster pitch that we kind of delved into a little bit uh, a few months back with Josh about something. Uh, one of the Universal monsters that hasn't gotten a lot of recognition or isn't as well regarded. There's like there's the special Trinity. You have no, he is. He's one of the special tri- trilogy that uh, Trinity that I always think of. Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman. Now, I know we are getting a Wolfman with, directed by Lee Whannell, who did The Invisible Man, starring Ryan Gosling. Screw that! I like Lee Whannell, and I like Ryan Gosling. <laughs> That's not where I would go. I would go The Wolfman, directed by The Lighthouse and The Witches, Robert Eggers. So mm, what, okay. what Robert Eggers really, really nails is this sense of tone and um, nails the time period of wherever he is doing it, of like the witch. You feel like you're in early colonial America, the lighthouse. I don't know what I was watching during that, but it felt so surreal. And I felt that world and everything, every frame of it was so surreal. And I felt in that world so much with the Wolfman. I've set it in those old Gothic times, like the Benicio del Toro one, but with Robert Eggers' flair for tone and ambiance, I think it would be perfect. But also, he's shown with the witch. You don't necessarily have to show the monster to be scary. The thing with the witch is, for like 90% of the movie, you don't know if there actually is a real witch or not. It's just a lot of people pointing the finger at each other in fear. I think that would work absolutely perfectly with a Wolfman movie of there's a bunch of heinous brutal murders taking place around an old city or whatever and a man played of course because it's me and I needed to fit him somewhere in today's video played by Warriors Joel Edgerton because for those that have seen him he could be the nice guy like he is in Warrior but he could also be the villain like he is in It Comes at Night Um, he's a man that thinks he might somehow be responsible but he doesn't know and he slowly starts to lose his mind and the movie won't make it clear if it's actually a wolf that's attacking people or if it's some man making it seem like a wolf is attacking people creating this paranoia within the town this unease this almost like the thing of don't trust your neighbor because they might be the one that'll kill you in your sleep um it looks like a wolf is attacking people on paper, but if it's like the witch, there's still this ambiguity of, I don't know. And it's, I think, scarier if we don't know and see the descent of a good man basically into insanity. It's a lot more terrifying than, look out for the hairy thing that's going to claw my eyes out. Um, just as aesthetic for the witch, the lighthouse, performance by Joel Edgerton. I think this would be fantastic. I know he wants to do a remake of Nosferatu, which I think would be just as great. Um, but if that doesn't happen, oh man, I would love to see his take on Wolfman, if nothing else, for just the scenery in that movie alone. Yeah, that that is very intriguing. And like your, your description of the fact that like you maybe don't see it. I mean, that's why I love the first Alien film so much is that you don't really see. You don't really know what you're looking at. You're like, okay, that's really creepy. What is that? Oh my gosh, okay, it's gone. 
Um, and the idea that you are, can be questioning, like, is this a supernatural like type of horror film or is this just a slasher? And you don't really know and you can you can play with the audience's expectations and maybe kind of uh, distort reality a little bit. Um, but it doesn't have to be completely uh, out of nowhere. I, I think that's very, very compelling. Again, you see the, the stuff that you describe and like you would like it sounds so much better than what is like a lot of the whole like the whole horror genre. I don't like uh, because a lot of it's just presentation. It's not concept. It's presentation. And well, I think it's, you're, you're just looking in the wrong spot. Admittedly, with horror, you do have to sift through a lot of garbage. Sometimes the garbage is fun. Mm-hmm. McDonald's is not yeah. good for you, but sometimes you crave McDonald's. Um, yeah. You could go to Outback just as easily, but sometimes you crave McDonald's. Horror is the same way. It's just picking up on the good stuff. So that's what I would like to see. Michael, you got uh, one or two left. Uh, I have two left. Okay. Hit me back and, to back with them, uh, and I'll close out with uh, okay. mine that you will, you'll like my last one. Uh, so um, th- this one's a little obs- little obscure, but I have got to go uh, with uh, a Star Wars film, and it's particularly by this director because after watching Argo, Ooh. I was sold on Ben Affleck as a director. Absolutely sold. I would love to see a Revan, a Darth Revan movie, solely on Revan, basically, basically following the, the plot of Knights of the Republic, something with Knights of the Republic. I know we're getting someone with the old Republic or the high Republic. I don't care. Revan is my favorite Star Wars character of all all the movies, books, uh, video games, uh, TV shows of all like all time. It's not even close. It's my favorite Star Wars story. And I think you got to have somebody uh, imposing as well as charismatic. I went back and forth, but because of the acting talent and maybe what the more darker, more, uh, you know, a more mature director of a of a Ben Affleck, I would love to see what he could get out of like a Chris Hemsworth and playing a Revan uh, because uh, Hemsworth has the physique for it, but also he is a good actor. Um, but I think, again, maybe taking some of these high, these Marvel actors and putting them in a role that's a little bit different, uh, I think it'd be very good. I think it'd be really cool. And, you know, somebody who who can play this lost and confused soul, but also kind of kind of go with a little bit of anger. Um, I see that as a, as a Chris Hemsworth. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a that's a bad maybe star acting role. But as far as a director, what do you think about Ben Affleck and Star Wars? Uh, ben Affleck and just about anything. I'm totally down for. Like I'm excited for the Matt Reeves Batman. Obviously, no one squealed louder when he said, "I'm vengeance." Um, that makes sense. I do feel a little bad that we will never get the Ben Affleck Batman movie. Um, that was supposed to happen with him being stuck in Arkham Asylum. That sounded really, really cool because Ben Affleck is a phenomenal director. I love Argo. I love The Town. The Town has one of my favorite scenes ever of, I can't tell you who or why, but we got to hurt some people. And then Jeremy Renner just looks at him for a little bit. Whose car are we taking? Like, that's ride or die, man. That's fantastic. Ben Affleck is an amazing director. I don't know if I see with Star Wars, but it's not so much a... He just hasn't done anything Star Wars before. I just didn't... I don't really put them together. That being said, good directing is good directing. It shouldn't matter the genre or the franchise label attached to it. If you're a good director, your talent will shine through. Um, Mm -hmm. So I... Anything Ben Affleck, either acting... Why don't you have him be the... Why don't you have Ben Affleck himself be Revan? Yeah, maybe... I actually thought about that. I just don't think the look is there uh, for it. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I just think any if you give 
give Batfleck the role uh, of director and put him with Revan. I think good things are going to happen. Um, then I'll, I'll quickly wrap up. I don't actually have a title. This is just making making out making up my own film. Um, after seeing Molly's game and knowing what he can do with like the newsroom and the West Wing, I, I I trust in the writing and directing of Aaron Sorkin. I would like a geopolitical film that he, like something that's a little it's a more of a thriller, um, kind of like. Um, you know, if you've seen if you've seen like Miss Sloan, which was kind of like a domestic type of political thriller, um, a little bit, and it wasn't very good, but I like that kind of the concept. But something that has more worldwide implications, but starring Letitia Wright, maybe as a as a woman kind of thrust into a position where you know maybe she's she's just a um, an up and coming like careerist, or she's an intern. And she gets access to privatized information and, and she's given a choice like she has either got to report this. But who does she report this information to? Because little lo and behold, this information contains um, a very compromising details on something. And but she doesn't know who to trust. And so maybe as she kind of maybe crisscrosses the globe, maybe on the run, kind of like a gone, maybe kind of like an enemy of the state type of idea. But like if I had to pitch it, maybe like a Miss Sloan slash Enemy of the State slash Jason Bourne, but not I don't want like action. I don't want like like a Jason Bourne action film, but I want I want stuff that's like more realistic um, on the ground. And I think Aaron does a very good job through dialogue of like his his action is dialogue. And I think he sets it up really well. And I just I'm a fan of Letitia Wright. I just want to see her in more things um, and, you know, having the that type of that perspective and that type of. Uh, approach to a role with somebody like her where you maybe you can start out in the uk um or she's here from the uk and then she gets involved with the american politics it's, i don't know something of that sort i think it'd be really cool so i don't know why but as you're i know aaron sorkin stuff uh part of the reason i love moneyball so much um yeah i don't know why but so joker was a big success go with me here joker was a big success made a billion dollars dc has talked about doing more stuff under the black label of like more villain origin stories, like a Joker, like a Mr. Freeze. I'm not going to lie. If we had cast with somebody else, but a Lex Luthor origin movie of how he becomes president with all of his crime and corruption written by Aaron Sorkin, I would mm, play. Wow. That's pretty good. Played by Brian Cranston as Lex Luthor. (laughs) <laughs> oh man, what a what a thing to just throw out of nowhere! That would be amazing. Yeah. Wow. Right? Uh, your list still beats mine. What do you got for uh, for your last one? I saved the one that I think Michael will like the most for last, and I'm sure I think some of you will at home. Um, y'all liked Bumblebee, right? That was the franchise saver for Transformers. I need more Travis Knight in my life. And Travis Knight, to me, is the one of the only names that I would trust for one of my most beloved childhood movies that I desperately have wanted to be remade, Treasure Planet, yes, directed yes. by Travis Knight. Yes. I don't yes, have a Jim Hawkins because he's so hard to cast. I don't think we've discovered that actor yet because Jim, hmm. he's not a teen. He's almost borderline full-on adult in the movie in the way he's drawn, the way he acts. But he clearly is still not mature enough. That's why he lashes onto the father figure of Long John, who I have him cast. I went with somebody a little unconventional 
of typically you have like a portly white guy as Jim Hawk as Long John. This time I went with somebody that I've seen both absolutely terrifying, but also ha- I've seen him be a good guy. I've seen him be both. I want Idris Elba as Long John Silver. Oh, oh. That voice alone can be both terrifying as it was as Shere Khan in the Jungle Book. That was, oh God. But also he's been a good guy. You get behind him as Heimdall in Thor. He's been a good person. He's got this, I think he can be both good and bad. He can be menacing like Long John needs to be. But also, I could see him being the father figure type character to Jim Hawkins that he so desperately needs. And Travis Knight, look at Bumblebee. Bumblebee is a fantastic reboot to the Transformers franchise, but at its core, it's a story about growing up. That's exactly what Treasure Planet is as well. It's, let's go find the special space Treasure Planet. It's also about a boy becoming a man and the arc that he undergoes of... Jim Hawkins' arc in Treasure Planet is phenomenal of the moody, angsty teen that wears all dark colors and at the end, clean-shaven, wonderful, good-hearted, kind young man that wears all light colors at the end. Notice that wardrobe change in the movie when you go back and watch it. Um, also, the effects in Bumblebee look outstanding and there's such a unique visual style with Treasure Planet of like 50-50 of old colonial mixed with modern sci-fi that I would love to see those combined on the big screen. I think Travis Knight is a phenomenal director between Bumblebee uh, and Kubo and the two strings. Again, Travis Knight, like Dan Trachtenberg earlier, also was attached to Uncharted, and I'm really sad we lost him. But I still trust Ruben Fleischer. Um, I think Travis Knight would be fantastic for Treasure Planet. And why Disney keeps dragging their feet on remakes that we don't want to see like Cruella DeVille or Peter Pan or Lilo and Stitch when there's actually live action ones that we want to see like Treasure Planet like Atlantis just ah I want Treasure Planet and I would be so on board with Travis Knight and I would be so beyond board with Idris Elba of all people for Long John yeah what a what an amazing amazing uh, film choice uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite films growing up, and just the idea with where technology has come, they easily could do a film like that and just make it look stunning. Um, what what an amazing choice! Uh, your list, I think, is a fantasy draft would get many more votes than I than I. Uh, seriously, wonderful job, man! This was an amazing topic. I had a lot of fun coming up with these films, and uh, it, I guess my my question, you know, your list, and let me just run down you know, mine. I just have to ask you this as we close tonight. If you had to guess the reality, like what is more likely, like the like the highest likely film, I'll, I'll get rid of my hypothetical, but a Revan by Ben Affleck, Rock of the Iman Fitzgerald, that, that uh, historical drama by Peter Bird, a Mass Effect film with Christopher McQuarrie, or a live action Iron Giant, um, and then mixed with yours, um, what one do you think is, is most likely to be made? Uh, looking at my list, I think the most likely would be Magic Treehouse by Steven Spielberg. Okay. Yeah, I, think I think that'd be the most likely. And then probably um, Superman starring Henry Cavill, but probably not with Brad Bird. It's probably sure. my next one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like those, uh, those definitely seem more realistic. Uh, I mean, Magic Treehouse, like seriously, man, you're listed. I'd, I'd really struggle about rating like anticipation. So wonderful job, sir. 
you've won this round, I think, handily. Uh, but thank you again for having me back this week. And uh, quick question: What are you what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Um, what, what are you What are you guys doing at all? Uh, I don't think we're doing anything too special. I don't believe. Um, I'm only off on Thanksgiving. College basketball kicks in, so I'm going to be super busy oh, with work this week. Like we've got great. about 50 to 60 games a day, so uh, it's going to be real interesting. But I think it's going to be a pretty quiet Thanksgiving. Um, what about you? You got anything? Um, I'll, I'm trying to I'm trying to go through uh, the rest of the Ocean's films, maybe uh, when I'm just uh, chilling by myself, uh, and then uh, just hanging out with some family. But uh, I will just say, lamenting, of course, that I won't be doing normal things or, or seeing a normal film in, in theaters uh, since we're all closed down again here in Michigan. But uh, no, but thank you very much, pal. I do. I seriously, I wish you a happy Thanksgiving to you and Heather. And uh, here's here's to another week of movie news and anticipation for maybe some of our films. Indeed. Well, I guarantee you, uh, this is a lot of fun. I highly doubt this will be the last time we do a fantasy movie, Jeff, because I do this way too much. I want others to suffer as well. So suffer along with us, why don't you? Uh, Also, if you had an unlimited budget, studios can't say no to you, what would be some movies that you would make, and who would you have make them? Let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Untraded Media. And now you can also find any of the individual news topics that we talk about as their own separate videos. If you don't want to sit around for the whole podcast episode, but you want to hear a specific topic, you can find that now on the YouTube channel as well. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals. 